And if you have uh, a Bible, please uh, turn with me to Psalm 6, <clears throat> which in the Green Church Bibles is page 545, and in the large print, page 843. And what we're going to do to start with is uh, we're going to read uh, the psalm together as a congregation. Uh, so the words are on the screen, but if you have the NIV um, you can also uh, use that because it's the same words as I've got on the screen. Uh, so we'll read the psalm uh, together. And then I'm going to be preaching from this psalm. So sometimes when we're doing these psalms, uh, we'll sing some of them. Uh, sometimes uh, we can read, read them together. Uh, and that's what we're going to do now. So let's read Psalm 6. Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger or discipline me in your wrath. Have mercy on me, Lord, for I am faint. Heal me, Lord, for my bones are in agony. My soul is in deep anguish. How long, Lord, how long? Turn, Lord, and deliver me. Save me because of your unfailing love. Among the dead, no one proclaims your name. Who praises you from his grave? I am worn out from my groaning. All night long I flood my bed with weeping and drench my couch with tears. My eyes grow weak with sorrow. They fail because of all my foes. Away from me all who do evil, for the Lord has heard my weeping. The Lord has heard my cry for mercy. The Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies will be overwhelmed with shame and anguish. They will turn back and suddenly be put to shame. Well, I've called this sermon Praying Well When Not Feeling Well. Uh, in our country, we have uh, hundreds of charities that are doing really good work, trying to research and defeat diseases such as uh, various cancers, uh, motor neurone disease, Alzheimer's, heart disease, Parkinson's, diabetes, uh, and many, many others. Uh, physical diseases, like I've mentioned, but there are charities for mental health, uh, all sorts of different um, uh, ailments that people have. And the work of these charities is to be commended. And often when uh, we do funerals at our church, uh, families donate to those charities, usually to a charity uh, from which uh, their loved one uh, has suffered uh, because of the, uh, the illness that the charity is trying to, uh, to, to eliminate. But however uh, good these charities are, uh, even if they are completely successful in what they set out to do, they will not be able to eliminate death. Uh, they can prolong life. Uh, they can improve quality of life and so on. But such is the brokenness of our world that until Jesus returns and makes all things new, we will have to face our own mortality. And so we need to learn how to cope when the time comes when we are suffering with severe sickness and facing death. And that is what this psalm is about. Uh, we're continuing our journey through the Psalter, this musical of the, the history of God's people. 
And we've begun with King David, God's chosen king over his people, and his suffering. And Psalms 3 to 7 are prayers in times of trouble for King David, showing us his suffering, which foreshadows the suffering of Jesus and how to pray in these various situations. So we saw in the third psalm, the biggest suffering that David went through, the rebellion of his son Absalom. That was war. In Psalm 4, we saw the suffering of drought and the questioning of the ability of God and his king to provide for his people. In Psalm 5, we saw the suffering of slander, propaganda against God's king and against his people that caused some of his people to turn away from God when they believed the lies that they were told about him. And the sixth Psalm that we've just read is about the suffering of severe sickness or severe anguish and mental instability. Uh, The words David uses in the psalm, such as faint, heal me, and my bones are in agony, indicate that he was undergoing some kind of physical illness that he thought he might die from. And this may be a troubling thought for some of you, but we need to realize that all of us, unless the Lord Jesus returns first, are going to die. Now, some of us will die quickly and quietly, perhaps of old age. But I think it's fair to say that most of us will die following an illness and that some of us will die having been very ill and suffering very much. And for some, that illness will last a long time. Some of you have been with loved ones who have died after a very long period of suffering. And some of us have are even maybe going through that kind of suffering right now. Uh, Some of us will be very ill but recover, but have to go through a time of severe sickness. That seems to be what is happening to David in this psalm. We don't know the exact event. We can't put a historic date to what it was, but he was severely and life-threateningly ill and then recovered. This is his prayer when he was sick. And so what we have in Psalm 6 is, is an exemplary prayer for the faithful to pray in those times. And as we look at this, I'm acutely aware of many members for whom this is, is their reality. Or the reality for their spouse, or their parent, or even their child. Their reality right now, or their reality very recently. This psalm not only helps us to pray, but it also helps us all to pray for our brothers and sisters who are suffering in this way. Psalm 6 is how to pray when not feeling well. And I have to admit that I'm struggling to preach this particular psalm personally because I personally have not really experienced what David has gone through here. I've been healthy really my whole life. But my aim is 
to not give an experience, but to deliver the message of this psalm. That's what I'm called to do, even though I and others here may not have gone through what David is talking about. However, it will help those who are experiencing these things, but it will also help all of us to prepare to go through this when the likelihood comes that it's our time. And it will also help us all to care for the sick among us. And so it doesn't matter too much if you're here and think, well, I'm also really healthy and I've not gone through this. We are called to help those who are going through it and to be prepared ourselves. So this is a psalm for all of us in that sense. And it has three parts of how to pray ourselves and for others when we are not feeling well. And the first part of the psalm, verses 1 to 3, is that we are to pray crying in your anguish. Now, sickness can lead to all kinds of doubts and fears. And our response to these as Christians, and perhaps especially as British Christians, can be to keep a lid on those doubts and fears. We find them embarrassing, and some people can think that they are sinful and so hide them away. However, David shows us how we should cry out to God in our anguish, telling him our doubts and our fears. And this is called lamenting. Notice in the first verse how David fears that God is angry with him. The word for rebuke in that verse is, it means to be judged in a court of law. So he feels like, He's being punished. Don't rebuke me. Don't punish me because you're angry with me. And then the word for discipline has to do with training or, uh, or, or, te- or parental discipline of teaching a child the right way to go. And so he's, he's saying there, uh, don't discipline me uh, in a way that shows that you're angry. David is asking God to discipline him but not in anger, not in wrath. Now, in the culture where David lived, people thought that sickness was a result of some kind of sin that God was punishing them for. And it sounds as if David is believing those kind of lies, or at least it's on his mind. Is this something? I feel like, Lord, uh, I feel like in my sickness, I'm ill because I've done something and you're mad with me. That's how he, how he feels in verse 1. At the very least, he doesn't understand what's going on and he doesn't understand why God is allowing him to suffer in the way that he is. It feels like God's angry. It feels like God's hand is against him. Even if David knows that can't be true. And when we are sick like this, we can feel as though God is punishing us. Even though we know that is not the case. We know it's not true because God has paid the price for our sin By sending Jesus to die in our place on the cross. Jesus has been punished for you. So any sickness that you have is certainly not God's punishment for your sin. That's not the gospel. David also has been forgiven of his sin. He is God's own. Sometimes God does discipline us. And sickness can draw us near to him and make us more like him. But even that is not done because God is angry with you. It is done to conform us into the image of Christ. 
but we can feel this way. You know, our feelings don't always relate to reality. Our feelings don't always relate to reality. We can feel like God is angry with us, even if he is not angry with us. And when we feel that, it is okay and good and right to tell God how you are feeling. In verse 2, we see David has other feelings to express. Notice what he says. Have mercy on me, Lord, for I am faint. Heal me, Lord, for my bones are in agony. Uh, to have mercy here is asking God to show him favor. Uh, the mercy uh, is being healed. But notice why David wants to be healed. He is, he's faint. Uh, faint means uh, to wither like a plant that's had not enough water. Uh, his strength is gone and he's withered. Notice here as well, it's King David, the man who defeated Goliath. The man who had all those escapades, fleeing from Saul. The David who we read was rugged and handsome, able to fight off lions and bears when he was a shepherd. But now he's like a withered plant. It doesn't say here, and we don't know if he was old, but I think one of the sad aspects of illness, and especially old age, is the way that we are not able to do that which we once were. And we have that sense of withering, that sense of, of dying, which is really what is going on as we age. And David is struggling with that. But also in verse 2, he asks for healing because his bones are in agony. The word agony doesn't quite, I think, give the depth of feeling here. Literally, the word can be translated as terrified. David is scared, really scared, because of the physical condition he's in. Speaking of his bones means that the terror is at his very core. The physical condition he is in terrifies him. There is a physical terror that is coming from the threat to his life. And you can be so ill that it makes you physically terrified. That's what's going on here. He's really scared. And at the beginning of verse 3, that the same word translated here as anguish can also be translated as terror. So literally, my soul is in deep terror. And, that's, and it, here it's a, a spiritual or emotional fear, a terror of what's happening to him. And illness can bring that deep terror physically, spiritually, emotionally, and even all of them at the same time, which is what David seems to be experiencing here in his illness. And at the end of verse 3, we, we, we see the cry, How long, Lord? Uh, that, that phrase, how long, Lord, is a very common uh, cry in the Bible. It's a cry of lament. Uh, it's, it, it appears 30 different times in the Scriptures, but 16 of those, over half, are found in the Psalms. And the meaning here is not a mathematical calculation. He's not saying, uh, Lord, can you just tell me the date on the calendar when I can get this over with? That's not the meaning. The meaning is a plea from the heart to make it stop. How long, Lord, 
is this going to be happening? He wants it to end. That's the idea. It's worth mentioning at this point, because there's lots of psalms of lament, that there is a difference here, as David's crying out in anguish, between grumbling and lamenting. There is a difference. Grumbling is a sin that the Israelites were called out for. Lamenting is not complaining or moaning in that kind of a way. I read a a good book recently that I would recommend, and I've left it upstairs because I'm going to bring it and show you, uh, written by Paul Mallard, who spoke at our um, 50th anniversary, and the book's called Learning to Lament. And he differentiates between grumbling and complaining in this way. It's quite a long quote, but it's helpful. Uh, He says, Grumbling is when our grief and anguish drive us from God rather than towards him. We become angry and blame him for our loss, comfort, uh, for our loss. Comfort and ease become idols that we long for. Our resentment can easily harden into bitterness and the denial of God's goodness and maligning of God's character. So we charge God with wrongdoing and refuse to trust him in spite of past mercies. So that's grumbling. Lamenting, on the other hand, flies to God in desperation. It talks to God about our pain. It pours out our fears, frustrations, and sorrows. As a result, we are able to renew our confidence in God. Rather than denying our faith, our complaints are an expression of this very faith. It may not feel like it, but our anguished cries reveal a heart that is pursuing God, flying to God because we trust him. Our complaint is an appeal to God based on confidence in his character. So there's a difference there between grumbling and lamenting. Grumbling is wrong, but lamenting is very right. And David here, he's not grumbling, but he's lamenting. He's flying to God in desperation. And it is appropriate and it is right when he is suffering the kind of sickness that he is here. And these very first verses show David pouring out how he feels to God about his sickness. And brothers and sisters, some of you need to hear this. We can be honest with God about how we feel. Even when those feelings we have don't match up to what is real. We can be honest. Partly we can be honest because God knows anyway. But also, it's right to be honest, because that is how we are feeling, and we need to lament that to God. Jesus understands this, doesn't he? In John's gospel, just as he was about to go to the cross, Jesus uses the words of this psalm to explain how he felt. He said, now my soul is troubled. That's the same word as anguished or in terror. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. And then in the Garden of Gethsemane, we read, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him, and being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. Do you see Jesus had physical terror? Physical terror, that was the sweat, uh, the drops of blood. Anguish, terror, 
crying out to God. It's worth noting here, by the way, Jesus, when he prayed, was not forgetting that he was going to rise on the third day. He wasn't absent-minded, and the Father didn't say to him, Jesus, what are you moaning about? You know what's going to happen in just a few days' time. He knew how the story would end, but he had those feelings of terror that some of us know. And Jesus shows that it's good to bring them to God in desperation. So we can be honest with God. But there's also an application here for those of us that are not sick, especially for those of us that have never been sick, to behave well towards those who are not feeling well. What do I mean? Well, of course, we need to offer the hope of the gospel to the suffering. But we should not be too quick to move people on from feelings of despair like we see here. When Jesus prayed in the garden, the Father's response to him wasn't to tell him to shut up and remember the resurrection. We can be too quick to go to the resurrection, actually, and make it sound like the sick person shouldn't be feeling that way and that it's sinful to do so. First of all, we need to weep with those that weep and acknowledge that those feelings are normal and to together bring them to God. We need to be understanding and compassionate, not clinical or try to fix them with quick answers, even if those answers are true and well-intentioned ones. But also there is a warning here, I think, not to judge others when their feelings don't match with what is real when they are sick. It's easy for us to analyze and judge other people's reaction to sickness, especially when we have no idea what it's like. People do and say strange things when they are unwell. And it's easy to think that, well, we would never respond in ways of of fear or misunderstanding reality and confusion. We can judge in that way, but if we do think in those terms, let me say, our time will come. Our time will come. And how will we want people to react when we are sick? And don't forget, Jesus went through this. There may come a time when we need to challenge people on their responses to suffering and attitudes and things like that. But what we must recognize from this psalm is that there is a place too for lament. And we would be wise to begin with joining in the lament rather than offering up any kind of challenge. There is a place for an anguished cry to our Father. So we've seen the anguished cry of David, but David moves on in verses 4 to 7 to another kind of praying. We can pray calling on God to act. So we see at the beginning of verse 4, notice a request. He says, turn, Lord, and deliver me. To turn is an act or a change of direction. And the change that David wants is to be healed, for his life to be saved. David bases his request on three reasons in verses 4 to 7. Uh, reasons why he can appeal to God to act or to turn 
and deliver. And the first reason is found at the end of verse 4. He says, save me because of your unfailing love. Unfailing love is another translation of that Hebrew word that I spoke of last time that comes up often, the word hesed. He comes to God and expects an answer, not because he deserves it, not because there's some inherent goodness in David, but because of God's love. God's love for us is the reason we can approach his his throne and request anything at all. We can boldly approach his throne because Jesus has died in our place and has removed the barrier of sin that separates us from him. So we have every right to go to God and ask him to heal our sicknesses and deliver us from what causes us to anguish. So that's the first reason, his unfailing love. The second reason is found in verse 5 as to why God should answer this prayer. Notice what David says. He says in verse 5, Among the dead, no one proclaims your name. Who praises you from the grave? He's asking God to heal him so that he can praise God for healing him. Now David was the leader of God's people and the leader of the praises of God's people. And he's saying, I can't lead your people to praise you if I'm dead. Because no one can hear the praises beyond the grave. Now the Old Testament people of God didn't have the full revelation of God that we have concerning the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. They did believe in an afterlife, but their view of dead of the dead was that it was a place where you had no impact on the here and now. And David wanted to proclaim God's name and praise him in this world. And so it, he wanted God to heal him so he can continue to praise him and have an impact in the here and now. And this is helpful for us. God sometimes does bring healing. And when he does, it should be a cause of much praise and rejoicing. It should be a time when God is glorified. We can praise him for healing us. And that's not just miraculous healing. When you are made well from any kind of illness, it should be a cause of thanksgiving to God. Because even though you could say, well, yeah, it was the surgery or it was the medicine... We should give God glory that he gives mankind the ability to do those things. So that's the second reason, so that David could praise God. The third reason why uh, David says God should answer is found in verse 6. And it's basically this. This is terrible suffering. (laughs) David is suffering terribly. And he wants God to act because this is horrible and this is hard. In verse 6, David is worn out with groaning. Uh, In other words, tears are tiring. And that's true. Most of us can uh, remember times of of much grief and sadness. For example, at the loss of a loved one, when you're, you're crying so much that the crying is just exhausting, isn't it? He's worn out with groaning. He has long nights of no sleep, but tears are flooding his bed. Literally, he's saying, I'm swimming in my tears. And the same is true with his couch which means that in the daytime as well as the nighttime, he was crying. So he's so ill that all day and all night, he's just in tears, flooding his bed in the night and his couch in the day. And again, some of you will know 
that painful experience, to be so ill that there's just tears all the time. And then in verse 7, his, his eyes grow weak with sorrow. Uh, in the Bible, when uh, it speaks of the eyes, uh, it's speaking about overall health. Eyes growing weak show a deterioration in health, specifically in terms of aging. Uh, the word actually is used in Deuteronomy 34, verse 7 of Moses in the opposite sense. So Moses, it says, was 120 years old when he died, yet his eyes were not weak, nor his strength gone. David is the opposite to Moses. In other words, he's saying, I, I, I'm old before my time. And it's true to say that suffering, whether that be uh, mental illness or physical illness, has an impact on our physical appearance as well as our health, doesn't it? It's worth noting how often the psalmist uses parts of the body not only to show the physicality of the suffering, but also the anguish of the soul and what it is doing to their person. It's as if David's whole sense of self has been reduced to the pain in his body. He's in such pain that it feels like that's all my life is right now. And again, some of you know perhaps what that is like. But in the second half of verse 7, we see something else in addition. We see that David finds his condition is made worse by his enemies. He blames the failure of his eyes on his foes. It's like the, the sickness was really bad, but the enemies have made it all the worse. It seems that these foes are those who blamed David for his suffering and then rejected him as king for it. They were like Job's friends in the, in the book of Job. They were the ones that were saying, well, David, it's probably your fault. You, you, know, you shouldn't have lived like this or you shouldn't have done that. It's probably something that God's angry with you about. Or, you know, if you just had enough faith, David, you'd probably be all right. But there's obviously something wrong with you, that kind of thing. And it's true to say that other people can make sickness even worse with some of their unhelpful comments and actions. In applying this section, we can say that it's right that we pray that God would heal us from sickness and preserve our life. We can and we usually should pray that God would turn and deliver us from our sicknesses. But at the same time, let's be careful to be a help to the sick and not like the foes that David is speaking about. The foes of David are those who reject God's king because of his suffering. Now Jesus is often rejected because of the cross, which is described as foolishness to the Gentiles and a stumbling block to the Jews. People don't want to worship a God who suffers. And many reject Jesus because they believe that a good God would not allow suffering to come. So they'll say, well, if God's real, he wouldn't be allowing you to go through this. And those enemies point us away from Jesus and tempt us to respond to suffering by rejecting him. And we can find those kind of enemies in the media, even in our families, and sadly, even so-called Christians who think that we should never be sick or that sickness is somehow your own fault or a lack of faith in some way. That's an evil thing to say. 
and it's very wrong and unhelpful. This kind of thinking makes an already horrible experience even worse. The best thing we can do to help the suffering is to pray for them, send them messages saying that we're praying for them and loving them, and sometimes just going and saying nothing but weeping with them. And so David brings these things to God and prays, calling on God to act. But finally, in this prayer, as David brings these things to God, he does so in confidence. We can pray, confident God will answer. Notice in the eighth verse, a change of tone or perspective. It seems here in verse eight that David has been healed. And he begins with those who are his enemies. Notice what he says at the beginning of verse eight. Away from me, all you who do evil. The evildoers are those who have rejected him as king because of his sickness and have spoken words against him. And Jesus actually uses these same words about those who do reject him in Matthew's gospel at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. He says, Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. The evildoers, those who think that you are ill because of lack of faith, those who think that a good God cannot possibly allow suffering, forgetting the fact that God enters our suffering, they will not prevail and their theology will flounder. They will be judged. Don't listen to them. Why can David say this to his enemies? The end of verse 8 tells us, For the Lord has heard my weeping. God has answered his prayer. David has been healed. Verse 9 continues the theme. The cry for mercy has been answered means he's been healed. His prayer has been accepted. We can be confident God will answer our prayer. Keep praying. But not only is David confident because God has answered his prayer, he's confident regarding the future for his enemies. In verse 10, we see the future. Notice the enemies will be overwhelmed. They will turn back. There is a coming day when all those who reject God's king will suffer a far worse fate than any sickness you can have on earth. They will face God's judgment. And so notice here in verse 10, a great reversal. David in the psalm asks for mercy. God has heard his cry. David's bones were terrified. His enemies will be in anguish. Anguish again in verse 10, same word as terrified. The Lord was asked to turn. David's enemies will be turned back. David cries, how long? His enemies are suddenly put to shame. What's going on here is God is putting everything right, making all things right. David has been healed. But this making right, including our healing, will not finally come fully till Jesus returns. Sometimes in this life, we are not healed. God will answer our prayers regarding healing, but it may be in the life to come. God may, for his own purposes, not make us physically well in this life. Matthew Henry is helpful here. He says, Sometimes 
Christ sees that we need the sickness for the good of our souls more than the healing for the ease of our bodies. We won't always get better. But although I said earlier we mustn't move too quickly past lamenting, we do still have the hope of the gospel and must go there eventually. Because Jesus did suffer and die. Our confidence is not in David's exemplary prayer, but in Jesus' resurrection from the dead. He had victory over sin and suffering and death. And the wrongness that we feel when we are sick is really a longing for a better world. The one which is to come because of Jesus. And so we can and we should lament. We should use prayers like Psalm 6, knowing too that Jesus understands what we're going through. But we do so with hope that a day is coming when we will no longer lament, but will, even after the grave, proclaim his name and praise him. A couple of years ago, I went to a conference where I met a lady whose husband had cancer for a long time and then he passed away. He wasn't healed. And there was one time when this lady and her husband were in a coffee shop and they were having coffee together and he was obviously very, very ill. And somebody claiming to be a Christian came up to her and her husband and told them that they needed to have faith and they will be healed. He was really unhelpful. And he, he, he insisted on praying for them, and it was an unhelpful prayer. And it caused much hurt to the lady and her husband. And she was telling me that her husband died. And about a week later, she was having coffee in the same coffee shop and saw the same man. And she said, she called him over, and she said, I want to tell you something really exciting. God has healed my husband. And the man said, oh, that's, that's amazing. Like, you know, it must have been my prayer. <laughs> and she said, no, no, he, he's died. And he said, oh, I'm so sorry. But she said, I want to explain to you how, how he's now fully healed. I want to explain to you how now he is better. And she shared the true gospel with this man. Because she had hope because Jesus is risen from the dead. We lament and we cry and we weep and we tell God honestly what is happening, knowing he understands. But we have the hope of the gospel because he's risen from the dead. God will make all things well. And until then, he enables us to lament and to long for that final day when Jesus returns. So what we're going to do uh, now is we're going to sing uh, together a song which I think is, is helpful um, uh, for us, having heard this message, be still my soul. Uh, and then after we've sung, uh, we'll, we'll be seated and then I'm going to, to pray specifically for the sick among us uh, using uh, words from this psalm just to help us to be able to pray for them. Uh, and then after I've prayed, we'll sing again before we close. So let's stand and sing together, be still my soul. The Lord is on your side. Let's sing.
Well, please take your seats. And let us pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the words of the psalm given to us to pray when we are in deep anguish and we are worn out from our groaning. Father, we thank you that you understand what we are going through. That Jesus used these very words to express his feelings as he went to the cross. We thank you that you are not a God who is distant when we suffer, but one who enters our suffering. And Father, we want to pray for our brothers and sisters tonight who are feeling the anguish, who are in pain, for those who are going through treatment for cancer, for those who have chronic health conditions that are only getting worse. Father, we pray that you would turn and deliver them in your good time. We pray that, you, that we would be helpful to them, acting as a friend who can weep and lament with them and not acting as an enemy who analyzes and critiques them. Help us as a church to love well our siblings who are unwell. And Father, we pray that you would help the sick and suffering to be able to pray in this way. Would these words be used to bring comfort and encouragement? We pray for those also who are caring for loved ones who are sick. For those caring for parents and for spouses. For those who never thought life would be this way. Please, Father, would you help them and give them patience and understanding and strengthen them to care well. Father, we pray for those who recently have lost loved ones through periods of long sickness. And for the memory of this kind of anguish being very raw. Father, again, would you comfort and encourage them in their grief. And again, knowing that in grief we have words here that we can use to express to you our anguish. And Father, we want to thank you that while we have permission to lament, and while it's right that we do so, we thank you that as your people we have reason to hope. For Christ is risen from the dead. You do hear our cry for mercy, and you accept our prayer. And so give hope to the suffering, we pray, and help all of us to cling to Jesus, in whose strong name we pray. Amen. We're going to close with one more song. Rock of ages, cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. Let's stand together as we sing.
For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.